this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Sergey Nazarov, the co-founder of Chainlink. Chainlink is a project and a company out there that has gotten a lot of attention over the last year or two. Uh, Sergey came on and gave us a great overview of what Chainlink is up to. We talked a lot about smart contracts and about oracles and this oracle problem. The oracle problem, uh, for those that do not know, there is a challenge that is hampering uh, blockchains from really breaking out and becoming a part of our everyday lives, according to Sergey. Oracles provide a lot of the data and the information that is needed for smart contracts to basically work. And so without going into the technicals, you guys can listen to the show. We address the Oracle problem. We address how Chainlink is uh, addressing that problem. They also had a new integration with a project called Town Crier, which we, we talk a lot about too. We also talk about their functionality and we talk about how they're working with enterprise and enterprise versus public blockchains and how there's this differential between private and public blockchains and why that is. This is an amazing conversation. Sergey is so smart and Chainlink is a project that has gotten a lot of attention. As I mentioned on the show, there is a disclaimer. Uh, Arca is an investor in Chainlink, so just want everyone to know. Uh, so aside from that, please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear a great conversation with Sergey Nazarov, the co-founder of Chainlink. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I am so excited about this one, guys. I have Sergey, the co-founder of Chainlink, with us today. Sergey, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, David. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on the show. I, I appreciate it. So, Chainlink is a great, great project. Uh, full and fair disclosure, uh, we we are uh, participants in Chainlink. So, uh, for those that think that I'm all about chilling, this is the first time that we've actually had a project on. So. Let's, uh, let's be fair, guys. I want to learn about this. There's more to learn. There's people that need to learn about this project. And so, Sergey, I really want to hear about your story. You know, there are people that have been in this space for a year. There are people who have been in this space for 10 years. And so you started back around 2011. So we'd love to hear your story a little bit and what got you interested in this whole world. And then what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, focus in on Chainlink about what it does and the problems that it's trying to solve. So if you could let us know a little bit about it yourself and how you got involved in this world of digital assets and crypto. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, in 2011, all you could really do was mine. And there were different subsets of people that had an interest in that. Um, I just did it from like a technology um, kind of hobbyist, just as a curiosity. I learned about Bitcoin mining actually from the gaming community. Uh, because it, it it had at that point a lot of the people that were mining were these people that had GPUs, so I kind of learned of it learned of it from there, and then I started um, I started mining and I started getting you know bitcoins and litecoins and and all and all kinds of things like uh, well mainly mainly those two and and basically um, I mean I think there were there were two two interesting things that initially attracted it to me. One thing that was interesting was uh, after I started mining and I started realizing that that uh, Bitcoin and all these digital currencies, they weren't really about gaming. They were more their own standalone, standalone kind of thing. I, I came to realize that in the history of digital currencies, there was usually a company 
Um, like in the 90s, there were a few of these companies. One of them was Beans. It was B-E-E-N-Z. They were for loyalty points. And, there, and, and, and there were a lot of different companies. And they basically had people accrue value to digitally man, uh, centrally manage digital currencies. So one of the things that was really interesting to me was that I realized that you had something in the form of Bitcoin that uh, lived without, uh, with, without a central authority, not even from the point of view of controlling it, but from, the, from, from a point of view of longevity. Because uh, up till that point, I knew that in the history of digital currency, you, you had a big problem where some, so, some startup existed for a few years and it, it, people accrued value into, into their digital currency for, for loyalty points or, or, or whatever, whatever digital, digital token they generated centrally. And then if the company went out of business, everybody just, you know, like if, if you accrued a ton of value in some game and the company that makes the game closes down, you lose all that value, right? And so one of the, that was one of the first things that was kind of fascinating. Um, and then the second thing that was fascinating was the whole uh, approach with mining, where I, I, I really, uh, I sat down and I thought about it and I couldn't really, I couldn't really think of a single example where you had... You had something, you had a technology generating value without, the, without doing deals. So, I mean, throughout history, if you, had, if you, had, um, if, if you wanted to create something of value, you, you had to do a deal, right? Like you had to get the wheat from the farm uh, and you had to mill it into flour and you had to sell the flour to the bakery. Or you had to get, you know, you had to get some raw material, you had to weave it into cloth and you had to hell it, sell it to the textile mill. And and it's pretty much still that way with digital things, right? It's you know you, ad networks need publishers and and they need uh, you know the advertisers and you're kind of you have a technology but you're doing deals to to make that technology create greater value from one side to the other. Um, but with Bitcoin, the fascinating thing for me was that I never really I, I couldn't really think of something where you ran ran a technology and it just gave you gave you something of value. And I, at first, I didn't, I didn't actually see how that could work. And I didn't really understand why that's legitimate or, or how that could sustain itself. But then over time, in around 2013, when I saw the app coins show up, um, I started to, to tie, the, I started to tie the, 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 the relationship between the, the, the mining and the value generated by a network. So I, I think the two, the two initial fascinating things was I, I could see that there's a very, there's definite difference in, in what cryptocurrencies do versus centralized digital currencies, which, which had existed for a few decades before Bitcoin. And I, I, that difference was very important. And then the fact that you could just run a machine and it gives you something of value, um, I, don't, I don't think I'd ever heard of that before. And then in 2013, the app coins came and I basically, um, at that point, knew enough about this stuff to realize that if you applied some of these, some of these capabilities to other types of transactions, so to transactions that weren't just about token movement, um, that the type of value that that I saw in, in in these tokens could could be extended to other other types of computations, other types of contracts, and and that's actually when I started hearing more um, more about all these capabilities, and I I just decided that that that's really probably the future of this space, in my opinion. I mean, I still have that opinion. That right. the future bases in these more um, advanced contracts. Got it. So let's give the listeners a purview into what Chainlink is. So 
very quickly with about 30 seconds or a minute if you had to talk to someone who might not necessarily be as succinct and as knowledgeable as you and others within distributed and decentralized systems, what is Chainlink? And then we're going to go into the problems that you are addressing, like oracles and all those other things. But if you could tell the listeners what Chainlink is, if you could describe it very quickly. Sure. So, I, I mean, generally speaking, uh, maybe the simplest way to describe it is, is as middleware. So what middleware does is it connects two systems that need to be connected to create a large amount of value. And what, what Chainlink does is it, is it acts as, as, as a piece of software that allows w- one system, in this case, blockchains and smart contracts, to very importantly, securely interact with other systems. These other systems have all kinds of data about which the contract would be written. They have all kinds of payment capabilities that the contract wants to use to, to finalize the, the transaction. Um, and I mean, at, at, at the most basic level, it's, it's middleware. And, and middleware is, is critical for the evolution of a space because once you have good middleware, um, you can have the initial system like blockchains start to, start to do many more useful things that, right. that that initial system on its own cannot do but that it wants to do. Right. So the listeners should know about what a smart contract is already at this point. We've talked about them, but obviously if you are still uh, trying to understand them, there are places, obviously our our podcast and others where you can find out more about smart contracts because we're going to talk a little bit about that. And one of the things that powers smart contracts, obviously with Ethereum, Ethereum is a Turing complete system. And so it has state. And so it can remember things basically just to put it in a very simplistic kind of mannerism. Um, and oracles are basically the the feeders of that state. They kind of give the information, they give the data. And so, you know, if you could, let's discuss the oracles. And so you have mentioned, you know, there is an oracle problem out there. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, you might have said something to the effect that oracles are a little bit too centralized as they represent themselves now. And they're a single point of failure. And so... I think Chainlink is trying to address the Oracle problem. Tell the listeners like they're five years old, if you could, a little bit more about Oracles and the Oracle problem that you're addressing. Yeah, sure. So Oracles is the, is the fancy word for middleware in our space. So Oracles basically act as um, a, a gateway into other systems. So when, when you hear an Oracle, um, I mean, there's more traditional definitions of it from computer science. It's, it's basically something that provides some kind of data or something to a system that that system can't get on its own. But an, an, an Oracle, the Oracle problem is, is basically the fact that the smart contract that runs on, on a network like Ethereum or Hyperledger or any of these other networks, it, it actually is unable to speak with external resources. So I think part of the useful understand part of the thing that's useful to understand here is why are smart contracts useful at all well they they're quite useful because they have a lot of security and reliability guarantees what what that means is that they guarantee that they will um, execute the way they've been written right that's that's the unique guarantee of a smart contract and what what the oracle problem is is that in order to create the guarantee for a smart contract that it's extremely secure and reliable you have to secure it in a way that precludes um, its access to external systems. So that's that's why a lot of these networks, pretty much all of them, don't don't have a capacity where you can have a contract talk to um, something called an API, which is an application programming interface. But it's 
it's it's basically the, the 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 method by which applications talk with each other, right? So if Uber talks to uh, Google for from for app data, it uses it uses um, an API, and and that's how systems talk to each other. But smart contracts can't talk to other systems because their their focus is on security. So what what you need to do is you need to generate um, once again a middleware. You need you need to have an an oracle that is going to give uh, the smart contract access to external data. And, mm-hmm. and then the value of that is that once you have access to certain types of data, what, what you really have access to is events, right? You have access to uh, a market event, like a price change, which, which is what underpins a lot, of, uh, a lot of different derivatives contracts. Or you have access to IoT data, which shows that you know, some truck um, is still working properly, and therefore its insurance is valid. Or you have access to to shipping data, but un- until you have access to data, you you can't create automation around that data, right. right? You 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 can't write a contract about an event that a contract doesn't know about. And the way a contract would ever know about something in in our world, in other words, the way a secure, highly reliable, tamper-proof contract, which, which is what a smart contract is, would know about things would be through an oracle because the oracle maintains the security of the contract while also giving it access to these external events and actually also allowing the contract to generate external events. Mm-hmm. So what, what this means in effect is that I can now write a contract about a market event or a shipping event, or an IoT event for insurance, or or weather data for some kind of game, uh, or, or or whatever whatever event I want to write about, and right. that greatly expands the universe of of what a contract can be written about. Right. So let's talk about the integration with Town Crier. So smart contract systems today lack trustworthy sources of data, as we were talking about. As currently deployed oracles provide only weak provenance and confidentiality assurances. The Town Crier system leverages trusted hardware, Intel SGX, to provide a strong guarantee that data comes from an existing trustworthy source. It also provides confidentiality, enabling smart contracts to support confidential queries and even manage user credentials. So talk about this. This was a pretty big step in the in your uh, roadmap this year. Talk about the integration with TownCrier. Yeah, sure. So I, I think the useful thing here is to actually understand um, what the usefulness is of, of a system like TownCrier and, and what it's basing its um, that usefulness on. So what... What TownCrier does is it successfully implements an Oracle scheme um, or, or an ability to get data from, from off-chain systems into blockchains using something called trusted execution environments. So trusted execution environments are specialized pieces of hardware that have their own separate memory and processing p- capabilities in, in a very secure, um, locked-down, difficult-to-access environment. What, what this basically does is it creates um, a, a new trust model. The trust model is that I have trusted execution environments. I can put encrypted code or constructions in there, and the, the trusted execution environment can run those instructions or, or that code, and it can even run it in a way where the node operator does not know what they're running. 
So what 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 this equates to is 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 an additional level of security. So so the first level of security that Chainlink provides is the capacity to have multiple individual node operators act as oracles. So smart contracts are secured by having multiple independent node operators compute smart contract code and state changes. And um, an Oracle network like Chainlink has multiple independent node operators perform this function of middleware uh, acting as oracles to validate external data. Now, th that's the first level of security we, we can provide is we can decentralize uh, and therefore better secure the validation of external inputs and external outputs. Um, Town Crier is an additional level of security on top of decentralization, which means that you can have multiple independent node operators uh, validating the quality of data, making sure that it's of a secure enough, high quality enough um, source, manner, validation to trigger a highly reliable contract like a smart contract. But they also now use these uh, trusted execution environments like Intel SGX. So what, what Town Crier is really about is, is getting um, trusted execution environments into, into a stage where in, 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 into an environment like Chainlink that utilizes them for a, a greater degree of security on top of decentralization. I mean, where we are with this now is where the, the initial version of Town Crier already works. Um, it's worked now for years, successfully delivering data using a trusted execution environment. And one of the cool things it does is it validates something called a TLS certificate. So it, it validates, it, it basically makes sure that the data came from the place um, it's saying the data comes from. And right now we're in the process of looking at and, and building the second version, which, which is going to be a much more expanded version, which is going to be uh, applied across uh, most Chainlink nodes, the ones that opt in to, to use that version. Because also, one quick nuance is our, our node operators actually have a choice about the type of security guarantees they want to provide to users. And right. this is one of the very exciting ones. So let's talk about use cases. You mentioned a few right off the bat, just kind of in conversation, you said IoT with you know a trucking system or a trucking provider uh, supplying logistics. Off the top of your head, some of the use cases that Chainlink can obviously work in terms of traditional industries out there to make them better, make them run more optimal, you know, in what you've been able to see so far. And then I also want to talk about, you know, getting some of those larger enterprises like Swift, Intel, and Oracle to use blockchains for their business. But, you know, in terms of the use cases, let's talk about the use cases first that you've been able to encounter thus far. And then let's talk about some of the enterprises and how you've been, you know, potentially talking to them about using blockchains and maybe some of their their pros and their cons when you've been talking to them. What are they thinking about it? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I, I think the, the, the way you've described this is um, is accurate in that there's really there's the, there's these two sides to our space. One side is the public chain side. And another side is the, um, the enterprise. So I'll just kind of cover both separately because they, they, they actually have relatively different requirements. The, the public chain side, uh, what I see there is decentralized financial products, fraud-proof gaming, and some amount of decentralized insurance. So decentralized financial products, I think, are, are right now becoming more and more popular. I see more and more high-quality teams building them. 
uh, whether that's in the form of some kind of lending or derivatives products or 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 or, or whatever 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 financial product you can almost think of. Um, and I, I think the the reason those are starting to take off is that firstly they're they're relatively straightforward contracts that can be scripted using systems like uh, like Ethereum. So so the base layer system where you want to write this contract right now has the capability for you to write it. And the, the second reason is that the decentralized financial products appeal to a group of early adopters uh, in, in, in the larger crypto community. So um, the, the interesting thing that I've seen there is that there's kind of these decentralized financial products built by crypto people for crypto people. And, and, and it, it really goes to this thesis of that, that crypto products are only going to be very useful once somebody has a private key which uh, I think at this point, it's kind of like the early days of the internet where we actually have enough people now with private keys that making some kind of decentralized financial product has, has a user base, which is, which is very exciting because that's, that's not what, 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 that was not the case three years ago, right? Um, Fraud-proof gaming. Uh, Fraud-proof gaming, I, I, think, I think, makes a lot of sense. And, and there's a few... A um, few good examples of that. As part of that is related to digital ownership of non-fungible uh, goods um, that, that have value. Uh, part of it is related to randomness-based games that, that provide better guarantees than uh, their centralized counter, uh, counterparts. Um, I think that's, that's a space that I'm seeing expand, and that's a space that we're heavily kind of going into as well. And then the last group in, in public chain land that I see is decentralized insurance. And uh, the decentralized insurance products, um, I mean, there's a, been a few different ones. It, 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 insurance is, is, is pretty regulated, so it's, it's tough, I think, for some people to build those products. But I, I think the exciting thing is that I'm starting to see folks start to build these, um, these insurance products for markets that don't, have, that don't have that type of insurance. So I think there's a big difference between I'm going to build decentralized insurance and compete with centralized insurance in you know in 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 highly developed market X, where there's all kinds of regulation, there's all kinds of issues I got to deal with, or I'm going to make a decentralized insurance product for something like um, like crop insurance, and I'm going to provide it to people in geographies where they don't they don't have a competing centralized insurance product, because nobody nobody's able to build a centralized insurance product in those places. Now I'm I'm very I'm very eager to see those things. I, I'm slowly seeing them appear. But I would say in public chain land, those are the three categories. Right. In, in enterprise land, it's, it's always very tied to the very specific business an enterprise has because um, an, 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 enterprise wasn't, uh, an enterprise doesn't usually want to reinvent them for block, themselves for blockchain stuff. They kind of have a few set of objectives. And the question is, 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 is not the same question as public chain um, dApps. Public chain dApps want to completely invent themselves on the basis of blockchains. Whereas enterprises, um, they already have a use case and they already have a customer or, or they have a new customer that's very similar to the current customer. And they want to see how blockchains can and smart contracts can help them succeed uh, against usually a large field of competitors. The, the, the dynamic there is, is really, that's much more of a middleware dynamic where we actually help them use blockchains without having to take on the very large overhead of learning uh, about every detail of every blockchain. 
So in public chain land, we provide a lot of um, chain links, these, these oracles that live on chain and developers can use them very easily. And so now a developer has a large collection of interfaces that exist in the same environment where their contract exists, which makes it very easy for their contract to suddenly access all of these great external resources. And, and that's almost like making APIs available to a developer for the first time. So that's the dynamic there. The dynamic with enterprises is, is usually around finding a specific use case to their, to their business, like the insurance, an insurance product that they have, or what, you know, one good example is, is things related to maritime insurance or frozen goods insurance. Um, but they already have a line of business like that. And what they want to do is they want to replicate the contractual dynamics they have on a blockchain. And the way we help there is because we've integrated with many chains um, and are integrating with more, we, we kind of give them a way to use um, all the environments they want to use through one abstraction layer, through one middleware. And what this means is it gives them a lot of flexibility in terms of where, where they can conduct commerce. So it means if, if we, let's say we support 10 blockchains and they want, to do, they want to participate in insurance contracts in five of them, without a good abstraction layer like us, they'd have to learn five blockchains, which would be very difficult because it's, it's very difficult to hire people that know these things. And, and then, then the one blockchain you know, falls out of favor, another one comes into favor literally on a quarterly basis. Um, and so for enterprises, it's more along the lines of how do I take your existing systems and how do I take your existing contractual dynamics and how do I allow you to, 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 to create those dynamics in a new environment? Um, because they don't, they don't necessarily care about, about blockchains themselves. What, they, what, what enterprises usually care about is conducting commerce in, an envir in the environment where, where other parties want to conduct that commerce. Mm -hmm. and, and the faster that you can get them to, to do a contract in that environment, preferably from their own existing systems, right? So, <laughs> I mean, I, I think some people wonder why enterprises don't throw out systems. Well, it's, it's because there's a huge risk, right? The reason there's still certain financial products running on COBOL servers is because switching to other systems has a lot of inherent risk. Like, let's say you had a system with $10 billion on it, right? And it was working, and you want to migrate that $10 billion to another system. It might not be so straightforward. So the and plus you have a ton of people trained on that system, and there's there's a whole bunch of other risks. Um, so the goal with enterprises is really getting um, getting them to use blockchains in an efficient manner from their existing infrastructure, which which I think is 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 extremely useful for them and alleviates this problem of you know how do I choose the winning blockchain. You know, maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe you need to. Maybe you need to become blockchain capable as an enterprise. Maybe you just need to become um, capable of generating a blockchain event, and then having a blockchain event be being generated back into a into an backend event for you. Right. Um, so it's very different, public and private, and, and enterprise. So before we get to know a little bit more about you, the last question I wanted to ask you was: This year has been pretty, uh, pretty interesting for Chainlink. In June, uh, there was a blog post on Google's site for cloud, announcing your partnership. You know, for family offices and other institutional investors, Google is a name that they know. Swift is a name that they know. You guys are working with some enterprises out there for the remainder of the year, maybe into 2020. You know, in terms of the roadmap. 
not necessarily for partnerships, but for the roadmap going forward for 2020. Are there any things that we should be watching out for and keeping tabs on? Uh, I mean, first of all, I, I don't know what institutional or any other person who considers them an investor should or shouldn't do, right? Like that's not, I'm not really focused on that. I'm, I'm much more focused on the technology we're building. Of course. In, in terms of the technology we're building, um, I would say that our, our, our goals are to create a large collection of inputs and outputs. So partnerships um, with, with various data providers that, that I think people are seeing more and more of from us are focused on, on creating an environment for developers where they have access to all the data and all the capabilities they need. Now, we've done that to, to, to a relatively successful degree with, with just generic, certain generic pieces of data. Part of what we're going to be doing next is we're going to be expanding the computational capabilities of Chainlink. So what that means is if you want to write a contract that you can't write entirely on a blockchain, either because it's very costly to run it on chain, the scalability properties on chain are not what you need, or very commonly, the privacy properties of, of the base layer aren't what you need. You, 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 still, you, you still want to make a more complex contract, and a lot of that complexity often is around manipulating data. So it's around assessing data and analyzing data, coming to an index, coming to an average, reaching a threshold to trigger a, a financial product, um, like some of these DeFi products. So uh, I think the thing to expect is that we're going to have more data providers. We're going to have more payments providers. So we're going to have more inputs and outputs. We're going to continue to improve and work on the security of Chainlink uh, using something called a defense in depth approach, where you layer on multiple security approaches to get greater cumulative security. Um, initially with decentralization, uh, trusted execution environments, and now we're in the process of implementing a new approach using zero knowledge proofs. Um, so continually improving the, the, the core security of Chainlink and uh, expanding the computational capabilities, not, uh, not to do everything a smart contract needs, but just to do those things that you want a more complex smart contract to do, but you, you can't do on chain for some reason. And, and that expansion into computation, I think is also very necessary because there's, there's a lot of limitations that base layers have beyond just um, getting data. Um, a lot of them don't have privacy, which, which is a big problem. Um, you know, on this specific point, if you're curious of the direction we're taking here, there's something called Mixicals. Mixicals is, is our approach to using um, computation within an Oracle to create privacy mm -hmm. for a smart contract that runs on a, net, on a public environment like Ethereum. So you get, you get all the benefits of a public environment, which is um, all the people on that environment, uh, transparency about what's, um, what's going on with certain parts of the contract. Mm -hmm. but, but then with the use of an Oracle and because some of the computation is moved into an Oracle, you, you also get privacy. So you, you're, you're basically able to have the best of both worlds if you're willing to write a contract in two separate parts. Right. If you're willing to write an on-chain part and an off-chain part. And seeing people use base layers for an on-chain part that has all the critical information that needs to be on-chain and using an off-chain part like an Oracle network like Chainlink, um, I think for the medium term is, is the way that people are going to build complex contracts. 
deeply fascinating and that is something that i would want to be able to follow up with you again in a few months to see how that's progressing because we've addressed ethereum we've addressed privacy we've addressed this idea of being able to use the public and private mechanisms and as you alluded to corporations out there you know want to have some layer of privacy but they also want to be able to use some of the mechanisms and not just be like an sql database so we will keep up on you with that uh the last thing that we like to do on the show is to get a sense just a little bit more about you on a deeper level. And the two things that we always like to ask, and hopefully you can oblige us, is what you've been reading lately, whether it's crypto-related or coding-related or anything related that might be interesting on the reading front, and any music that you listen to. And that tells us a lot about people's personality. So music and books. Music and books. Um... Or it could, of course, be podcasts like Bass Layer. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the the reality with um, with me right now is that I'm I'm extremely focused, kind of in back to back meetings, working on all this, and so I, I think the reality is I don't. I think everything I'm reading is either technical documentation or it's or it's something related to crypto or our system. Um, I do read once in a while certain certain self self help books like uh, or management books so like things related to okrs uh, related to objective and key results planning things related to um, like one interesting book is behind the cloud by benioff mm-hmm. um, so 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 right now i'm actually quite quite focused on all of this work makes sense and um, in terms of music mm, I actually, interestingly, I don't, I don't consistently listen to a lot of the same people. I just usually have one or two songs that I like from from one one person. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can't say I'm spending a lot of time listening to music for That's the okay. for the past. You've been busy. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a stupid answer to your question. No, I'm it's maybe, not. I don't know if you want to. I, I, I don't know if you want to cut this out or how it would look, but I don't. Uh, no, that's I don't fine. I know know the answer to this. That's I'm fine. sorry, I'm not doing very well at answering this question. That's fine. The last thing that we want to give you is an opportunity to tell people where to find more about Chainlink and uh, where they can get involved if they want to. Yeah, of course. So they they can go to chain.link. Um, that's our site. They can go to docs.chain.link. Generally speaking, our Twitter at twitter.com slash chainlink is where we, we put a lot of updates about um, new data providers, new node operators, new payments providers, new users. Uh, so uh, I think, yeah, if you're a developer, you should go to the docs. If you're generally interested in the website and otherwise, Twitter is usually the place that we're trying to keep, to keep updated recently. Awesome. So this was Sergey Nazarov, the co-founder of Chainlink, a very, very interesting project uh, that has been doing a lot with public and with enterprises. Uh, again, as I mentioned, they had some great news coming out around June of this year. And so I would definitely check them out, do your research, uh, check them out on Twitter and their website. And Sergey, thank you so much for joining us on Baselayer, and hopefully we can catch up with you again in a few months and see how some of those updates are going. Take care. Great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. 
which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.